Well, greetings in the Master's name. It's been about three months and uh, doesn't appear to be over yet. <laughs> okay, the title of the message this morning is Heart. I probably uh, have spoken along that line before, but I think I remember John Risser saying one time when it comes to finding subjects for messages, often it's it's come from his daily Bible reading, his regular Bible reading. And that's a little bit like this one. Uh, I've been reading more in the Old Testament and um, and uh, it's uh, kind of a, it stood out to me. I started jotting down all the references uh, when it talked about heart. And so Kings, Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, there's a lot of them. So I just have a, uh, a few of them here this morning. Uh, now, when I say heart, the subject is heart, what verse comes to your mind? What verses might come to your mind? Okay, keep the heart without diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Is that Proverbs? Okay, good. Yeah, I lean not into an understanding. In all our ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Where's that? That's also Proverbs. Okay. More? Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. You're on the negative side. <laughs> Do you know where that is? It's Jeremiah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, it's interesting. Nobody mentioned the one I thought you would, but anyway. Okay. Uh, let's turn to First Kings. First Kings eleven. Now the setting here is uh, the prophet Ahijah, uh, because of uh, Solomon's um, apostasy, misdeeds, whatever. In fact, his, his you might say his heart kind of went to the wrong direction. Uh, <clears throat> but anyway, so. Ahijah got hold of Jeroboam. <clears throat> well, I guess Ahijah tore his own robe, and he he tore it into twelve pieces, and he gave he gave Jeroboam ten pieces, and he said, you know, I'm going to give you these tribes. I'm going to I'm going to keep the one tribe for David because I promised him uh, that you know he'd have a, a kingdom forever. But now here it's verses thirty-seven and thirty-eight. And he's talking to Jeroboam, the prophet is, and he says, and I will take thee. And thou shalt reign according to all that thy soul desireth, and shalt be king over Israel. And it shall be, if thou wilt hearken unto all that I command thee, and will walk in my ways, and do that is right in my sight, to keep my statutes and my commandments, as David my servant did, that I will be with thee, and build thee a sure house, as I built for David, and will give Israel unto thee. Well, that was quite a um, promise, I guess. You could call it. Okay, now, now the next chapter. So, Israel revolted. Jeroboam had his kingdom, the northern kingdom. Now, this is chapter 12, verse 26. Well, 25. Then Jeroboam built Shechem and Mount Ephraim and dwelt therein, and went out from thence and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, 
Now shall the kingdom return to the house of David. He said, the people from the northern kingdom, they're going to go down to Jerusalem to worship, and I'm going to lose it. I'm going to lose them. And so he made idols, and he said, these are your gods. Now, he had that promise from Ahijah, the prophet, said, I'll give you a, a house like David, permanent, forever. And Jeroboam said in his heart, he didn't believe it. He, could, he, he couldn't trust that. Couldn't trust the prophet's word. I, I found that very significant. Well, that's uh, now king. So you have kings and you have chronicles and chronicles sort of starts over. Let's go to first chronicles 12. But I just wanted to point that out about Jeroboam. I mean, he had that, he had that guarantee, but in his heart, he, 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 he couldn't, he couldn't accept it. Didn't make sense to him. First chronicles 12 verse 33. Now, this is sort of a census of um, the men that were eligible for the draft, David's army, and it's telling it by tribes. So verse 33, it says of Zebulun, such as went forth to battle, expert in war with all instruments of war, 50,000, which could keep rank, they were not of double heart. Double heart. And uh, in Hebrews, it says a heart and a heart. And so I looked at other translations and it was like true-hearted, stout-hearted, with singleness of purpose. These people had a single heart. They had a singleness of purpose. It was not a double heart. It was not a heart and a heart. A heart for this and a heart for that. It was singleness of purpose. Okay, verse, okay, chapter 28, verse 9. Now, this is Solomon. And this is the early part of his kingdom. Well, David's actually instructing Solomon. 28, uh, 1 Chronicles 28, verse 9. And thou, Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind, for the Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee. But if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. And so it talks about a perfect heart and a willing mind. Now the idea of perfect there is uh, is complete. Some other translations said true, loyal, whole. Made me think of that song in the Christian hymn. Oh, the title is, Is Thy Heart Right with God? But then the chorus was the heart right with God washed in the crimson, crimson flow. Can't quite get the rest of it. Yeah. Right. Right in the sight of God. Okay, thank you. Uh, but anyway, complete, true, loyal, whole. And so a whole heart or a perfect heart or a complete heart and a willing mind. So you got the heart, you have the mind. It talks about complete heart, whole heart, and a willing mind. It says the Lord searches the hearts and he understandeth the imaginations. That's mind. The thoughts. If you seek him, he'll be found of you. Might come back to that in a little bit too. 
Now, chapter 29, verse 9. And this is the result of the people bringing their offerings when David was gathering up the material for the temple. So at verse 9, chapter 29, verse 9, Then the people rejoiced for that they offered willingly, because with perfect heart they offered willingly to the Lord. And David the king also rejoiced with great joy. And I noticed in that verse the word rejoiced is twice, and joy is once, and willingly is twice. So coming to the Lord with a perfect heart, with a complete heart, with a whole heart, it causes joy. People often hold back from um, just total abandonment to self and what God wants because they're afraid what it might cost. Just a little scary, maybe. But it, it, it joy. It's joy. It's rejoicing. It, it, it results in, in joy and rejoicing. Okay, Second Chronicles 6, verse 30. Now this is Solomon's prayer to dedication of the temple. And he's talking about, you know, if they sin and so on, if they come back to God. Then hear thou from heaven thy dwelling place and forgive and render unto every man according unto his ways whose heart thou knowest. For thou only knowest the hearts of the children of men. It says God knows our hearts and said he's the only one that knows. And so the verse that Carol quoted, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Do you know your heart? Oh, how can we know our heart? Right. And I was thinking about um, what it says there in First uh, Corinthians, something about the Spirit teaches us or something. If we're in touch with the Spirit, it, it, it informs our spirits. And that's how we can know our hearts. If we're in touch with the Holy Spirit and He's teaching us, then we'll know what's in our heart if we listen. That, that's kind of the way I, it came to me when I was trying to think about, can we know our heart? Okay, Second Chronicles 12, verse 14. I believe this is one that we uh, know the words. I don't know if we always know where it's where it's found, but um, no, this isn't the one I was thinking about. This is another one. Just a brief one here. Second Chronicles twelve fourteen is talking about Rehoboam. It says he did evil because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. So the preparation, something in there about preparation, preparing the heart. I thought that was. Um, yeah, what, what's involved in heart preparation, we might ask. Uh, some other translations said he set not his heart, or his heart was not true. Um, and I think the Hebrew, the idea of the word in Hebrew was fixed. That means think about focus. 
his heart wasn't fixed. It wasn't focused on God. And so we know that he kind of missed it. Okay, chapter 15, verse 15. Okay, this is a reform time. It says, All Judah rejoiced at the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart and sought him with their whole desire, and he was found of them. And the Lord gave rest unto them round about. Okay. With all their heart and with their whole desire. And that idea of all their heart comes through these verses over and over. All their heart. And a, a verse I really like is, um, well, because there's two verses that kind of contrast. I think tremendous contrast. There's a question in Job. Uh, can a man by searching find God? And it's a rhetorical question. Like the answer is no. A man cannot find God by searching. Well, how are you supposed to find God then? But at Jeremiah says, you shall seek me. See, it's 29, 13, I think. You shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all your heart. So Jeremiah says, if we search for God with all our heart, we'll find him. Well, I think the contrast between Job and Jeremiah is, can a man by searching find out God? I think that's an intellectual search. If you search for him with your mind, you're not going to find him. But Jeremiah says, if you search for him with your heart, you'll find him. That's kind of what those two verses say to me. But with all your heart, if you, you shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all your heart. Oh, I noticed too in this verse, they rejoiced. Again, there's rejoicing when we when we go at it with our wholeheartedly. 16 verse 9. Here's the one I was thinking about where we know the words, but often when I think of those words, I, I don't have the reference attached to them. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. And then it's talking about Asa and how he kind of missed it here. And it says, thou hast done foolishly. Because he, here at this point he was depending on the Syrians rather than God, which he had depended on God earlier. So it, uh, he says, you've done foolishly because your heart wasn't perfect. Uh, <laughs> I thought this little, this little poem, and I mentioned that before, but show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is perfect towards him. Uh, the New American Standard Bible says, whose heart is completely his. And that made me think about that little poem that C.T. Studd made up for his girlfriend, his fiancée, to, to repeat to herself uh, because he wanted her to keep things straight. And the little poem was, Jesus, well, C.T. Studd was Charles. Jesus, I love thee. Thou art to me dearer than Charlie ever could be. So, okay, verse uh, chapter 20, verse 33. Just a couple more here. In the reign of Jehoshaphat, the high places were not taken away, for as yet the people had not prepared their hearts unto the God of their fathers. And that came through in an earlier verse. They had not prepared their hearts. So there's something about heart preparation. Uh, the New American Standard Bible said had not yet directed their hearts. 
Okay, chapter 29, verse 34. We'll just stop here with Chronicles. There was, there was some in Kings I didn't get, and Ezra and Nehemiah also. They're just, they're just sprinkled all throughout. Um, chapter twenty-nine, verse thirty-four. The priests were too few, so that they could not flay all. This is during Hezekiah's reform and uh, having a feast there, like they're supposed to. Uh, the priests were too few that they could not flay all the burnt offerings, wherefore their brethren, the Levites, did help them till the work was ended until the other priests had sanctified themselves. For the Levites were more upright in heart to sanctify themselves than the priests. So the priests were supposed to be doing the job. Their hearts weren't quite as prepared as what the Levites were. So uh, that was interesting to me, too. Um, the, they're upright in heart. They weren't upright in heart. They weren't prepared to carry on the work of the Lord. So somebody else had to pitch in and help out, which was good that their hearts were right. And then verse 36, Hezekiah rejoiced in all the people that God had prepared the people for the thing was done suddenly. And I like that thought, that God had prepared the people. God, we, we can't do it all ourselves. God prepares the people. But then I had to think, this verse, you know, it says God prepared the people. But I had to think about, what about all the stuff that Hezekiah done? Where does that come in? So it, 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 it's a uh, synergy. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a mix, a working together. All the stuff that Hezekiah done, it, it, it was proper. It was necessary. But it says here that God prepared the people. So it's both. Well, chapter 31. Here it is, with all his heart again. Thus did Hezekiah throughout all Judah and wrought that which was good and right and truth. I like that triplet. Good and right and truth before the Lord his God is what was good and right and truth in God's eyes. A lot of ideas about truth nowadays, but it's what's truth, what's right in God's eyes. And in every work that he began in the service of the house of God and in the law and the commandments to seek his God, he did with all his heart and prospered. Uh, chapter 34, verse 27. And Josiah, this is this is Josiah's reform. Remember, things got got so bad between Hezekiah and Josiah. It was Manasseh and Ammon, and that was a down down period. And things really went to pot, evidently. And so Josiah, they were cleaning up the temple, and they found the book of the law. They must not have been. I mean, it was like it was lost. And uh, they started reading it, and it didn't sound very good. What was in store for them? And so Josiah had to go to the prophetess, and she said, "Yeah, it's going to all happen, but." Not in your time because, because thy heart was tender, and thou didst humble thyself before God when thou heardst his words against his place and against the inhabitants thereof, and humblest thyself before me, and didst rend thy clothes and weep before me, I have even heard thee also, saith the Lord. So that was the first place to run across that word there, a tender heart, a tender heart. He humbled himself, he had a tender heart. In verse 31, yet, um, the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul to perform the words of the covenant which are written in this book. All his heart and all his soul. So that thing of having a tender heart uh, with all your heart, with all your soul, that's all about 
the idea of repentance there too. Now, I think I have put these, I'm pretty sure, in uh, your boxes already, but uh, I know people don't tend to save everything. And so I was wanting to make sure everybody had a copy of this. Um, so it's um, it's what it's in Power Bible. It's what Matthew Henry Adam Clark says on Matthew twenty two thirty seven about loving the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And um, so I'll just let you all hand them out here. Person gets one. And I, I want to switch gears a little bit. Um, thinking about a whole heart, wholehearted, uh, pure heart. Uh, in fact, I might, I might just add this. People's ideas. Um, I like the um, the verse, the beatitude, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And that the the concept that goes along with that is an unalloyed heart. A pure heart is an unalloyed heart, and uh, just um, just recently, I was uh, I was actually with someone that uh, March had uh, had some uh, interchange with recently. And March asked me to come visit the fellow, uh, homeless fellow here in town. He got arrested, and uh, um, he's not local, but. Um, Fairly uh, intelligent fella, uh, seems like, and very skilled fella, but made some bad choices. And so uh, he has to hang around to his court hearing. I suppose he's supposed to stay within a certain distance of where he got arrested. So I went and talked to him, and um, tell me some of his life story. And I, I think I challenged him on that idea of an unalloyed heart because of his skills. I knew he'd understand that concept. And he assured me, okay, so he had already told me he likes his drugs, he likes his women. But he said, but he assured me that the Lord Jesus, that, the, that Jesus Christ was his Lord and Savior. So, an unalloyed heart can't be mixed with anything else. Now, now I said, I want to switch gears though, because when we think about Loving the Lord with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We think about the things in our setting and the distractions, the uh, the uh, the pulls uh, we have to, you know, to to, to uh, fudge a little bit or to not have a whole heart. But this this okay. And so I was reading this book recently, Lords of the Earth. Now them serving the Lord with all their heart looked a little different than it does for us because they're setting. But I found it challenging. I just want to share what I thought it illustrates loving the Lord with all your heart. And uh, how many of you read this book, Lords of the Earth? Lords of the Earth. It's like, came out in the 70s. It's kind of popular back then. It, the setting is uh, New Guinea. Now, the island of New Guinea, just north of Australia, it's the second biggest island in the world after after Greenland. Uh, but the... See, Eastern and West, I forget how they, which is which down there. But anyway, the one end of the island is Papua New Guinea, and it's independent. And the other end of the island, the other half of the island, belongs to Indonesia. I think the setting, this setting occurred in the uh, part that belonged to Indonesia. And uh, it's a missionary setting in these Stone Age tribes. Cannibals, savages, um, is really something else. Um but the gospel was starting to break through 
Directly in front of Stan Kraut's Dongla, who had become the de facto leader of the small Christian community, Stan's challenge pierced Dongla like a bamboo arrowhead. Renounce my fetishes, he thought. Then I will not have power to avenge my forefathers who died in battle. But suddenly Dongla realized that he no longer cared to avenge the past. His aspirations had been gradually directed toward a new and better future. Nor will I have any further contact with the Kimbu spirits, he mused. Dongla could never forget the day one of the Kimbu spirits had invaded his body years earlier, causing him to lose his sanity for several days. But now the Spirit of God, creator of heaven and earth, was drawing him into a gentle fellowship of love that made his mind feel whole and pure in a way he had never experienced before. There is a difference between the Kimbu spirits and God, Dongla reasoned. Stan is right when he says we cannot follow both. And since I cannot follow both, I know which one I choose. Dongla rose to his feet, took a deep breath, and said, I'll burn my charms and fetishes tomorrow. And inside he was thinking, this, of course, will mean war. Yakwara, Bengwak, Uliap, and about 15 other young Yali Christians spent a nearly sleepless night. Will Dongla actually burn them? They kept asking themselves. An even more disturbing question was, can we who are also Christians bear to watch him do it alone? By morning, Yagwara and Bingwok decided they couldn't stand by and allow Dongla to take this dangerous step alone. Both boys recalling how Nindik, Kaloho, and Bukni were executed for various violations of Yali law knew that Dongla would surely suffer a similar fate. For although Nindik, Kaloho, and Bukni had broken various taboos, they had not gone so far as to desecrate the actual focal centers of the Yali religion, the fetishes. Dongla's proposed action was a violation of Yali law, so undreamed of that no prohibition against it had ever been formulated, and yet Yakwara and Bingwak agreed that it was a necessary step in order to complete their transition into the new world of Christian faith. <clears throat> Let us die with Dongla, Yakwara said. We have experienced the reality of Christ in our hearts. We can never again return to dependence upon mere inanimate objects. Well, the way it worked out then, <clears throat> um, <clears throat> it got a little bit um, <clears throat> exciting, you might say, but they did not get killed at that point. <clears throat> and then, um, I forget if this was before or after, two of them did get killed then. But the uh, Standale had gone in to this very dangerous area to preach and um, on the way out they got ambushed and he got shot five times with arrows <clears throat> warned by the forerunner Pat turned on the radio transmitter at daybreak at 545 the MAF base at Wamina answered his her call for help Shortly after seven, an aircraft landed, awaiting Stan's arrival by stretcher. Pat dressed the children for the planned flight to Curabago, where Scottish missionary Dr. Jack Ling was already preparing to operate. Moments later, a messenger brought word. They brought him to the top of the airstrip. He's still alive. Pat hurried to meet Stan, pale and weak in his stretcher. Perhaps now they'll believe I love these people, he said to her as she leaned over him and kissed him and that I won't send them anywhere I'm not willing to go myself. Tears welled in Pat's eyes. She turned and fixed a 
Adani, that was another tribe, Adani helper named Pakinjan and said, You see now, my friend, how dangerous it is to serve Christ in this valley. If you are afraid and want to leave, I'll arrange a flight for you to your own valley. No, he replied with tears streaming down his cheeks, I choose to stay here at Ninia. Pat turned to the small band of Yali Christians gathered around Stan's stretcher and said, You see how much trouble we have caused you by asking you to leave your fetishes and trust in Christ alone. After all this, do you still believe? Do you still want us here? The Singa, that must be what they called her. The Singa, they replied, weeping. We choose to follow God. We no longer believe, Kimbu. Nurse Jessie Williams, a newly arrived from Australia, donned, donned her white gown and face mask and entered the operating theater. Other nurses on the Carabango missionary staff assisted. Dr. Jack Ling and Dr. Kenneth Dresser from another missions hospital far to the south leaned over Stan, examining his wounds as he lay asleep under ether, supervised by Jack's wife, Fiona, and his anesthesiologist. At 4 p.m., they began repairing the damage to Stan's diaphragm. Again at 8.30 that evening, they commenced the most critical part of the operation, a bowel resection. At 1 o'clock the following morning, the team had done all they could do. If they had succeeded in removing all the infected bowels, Stan might live. If any infection remained, he would die. Pat, as a trained nurse, understood the implications. That night, she and many other Carabaga and surrounding Mission outposts spent many hours in prayer. Next morning, as Pat approached Dr. Ling's office to ask his opinion on Stan's condition, she saw him reading a small book. The doctor did not see her until she spoke to him. Quickly, he closed the little book and laid it aside. But Pat had already noticed the title on the page he was reading, How to Conduct a Burial Service. Obviously, my husband is in critical condition, doctor, she said, looking down at the book. Yes, Pat, I have to admit that he is. For the next six days, Pat remained by Stan's bedside, sponging him when he burned with fever, feeding him whenever he re regained consciousness, and checking flask of intravenous fluid during the long hours he lay unconscious. By the end of June, it was clear that Stan would recover. Doctors recommended that Stan and Pat take a two-month rest across the border in Papua New Guinea. First, however, they returned to Ninia so that the Ali, both Christian and pagan, could see for themselves that Stan, by the grace of God, had won at least a physical triumph over the savagery of his enemies. Our spiritual victory is yet to come, he assured the Christians. Before two moons have passed, we shall return to stand by you in this battle for the freedom of your people. As he talked with the, with the Ali, Stan moved about freely, exhibiting almost his normal vitality. The word spread. People of the southern he looked, that was where he had been and got ambushed. Still exulting in the supposed certainty of Stan's death, listened awestruck to eyewitness reports that he was still alive and well. We used our sharpest broad-bladed air, as they said, and we scored five hard hits at close range, two of them into the very vitals of his body. No ordinary man could have survived such wounds. This man's kimbu must be very powerful. The, the Yali respected physical strength and worshipped courage. A man who would preach a new god to such men must demonstrate his god's ability to provide unusual courage and strength. Stanley Albert Dale demonstrated courage and strength be caught beyond all previous limits of Yali imagination, and he would demonstrate that courage in still greater measure. Yali of the Southern Heluk, like most of their counterparts around Ninia, remained committed to the religion of the Kimbu spirits, but Stan's demonstration of courage could not go unheeded. The Yali of the Southern Heluk were thinking. During his period of rest in Papua New Guinea, Stan began a daily regime of running up hills determined to regain his strength. Okay, so he and 
a fellow missionary, Phil Masters, they did get killed then later. And uh, this is right after that. Dear Lord, Pat prayed as tears welled. I hope you took him home quickly. I hope he didn't suffer again like he did when they wounded him. To Phyllis, she said through tears, Oh, Phyllis, I hope you won't blame me for Phil's death. Pat, I wouldn't think of such a thing, Phyllis replied, putting her arm around Pat. Phil felt it was God's will that he go. God is in control of all things, Pat. We must not give too much credit to mere human causes. And then after they were killed, well, I'll get to that in a minute. As news of Phil and Stan spread to every corner of the Christian world by letter, telegram, newspaper, and radio, messages of condolence began to reach Pat and Phyllis in increasing volume. Tens of thousands of people in many lands began to pray for the Yali tribe, people who would not otherwise have known of the tribe's existence. The Singh Valley suddenly became one of the most prayed-for valleys on earth. Now at last, many predicted, with so much prayer concentrated upon the Yali people, surely they cannot long remain resistant to the gospel of Christ. Something will have to give. Well, the government then sent in soldiers to arrest the killers. And uh, the way it ended up, they only got one and uh, five, shot five. And that was not the way the missionaries hoped it would have turned out. And so, after that, on the way out, this one, the one missionary is talking to the author. He, the author was in on that trip. As Frank and I topped the pass leading back into the Heluk, we paused and looked back down into the Wick Boon Bowl far below. Can you think of any way, Frank, that was the man's name, I asked pensively, that these impossibly ruptured relations could ever be healed? Frank shook his head. No, Don, I can see no way. Apart from some unexpected act of God, the door to this valley will remain closed for two or three generations. So he says, apart from some unexpected act of God. And the next chapter, well, it's about the last chapter in the book. It's the title of the chapter is The Unexpected. And what happened, a pilot was taking a family somewhere and it's very mountainous there with all these I mean you have these tall mountains you have these valleys and anyway the planes go down in and they have these little airstrips they built on banks so that you know they can stop in a short distance but anyway this pilot was flying a family he was an experienced pilot he was he's not familiar with the territory and he got lost and he crashed and there were seven on the plane Six of them died. When the plane crashed, the, the back end broke off, and a boy that was sitting in the back, a nine-year-old boy, he didn't get hurt. He crawled out of the plane, and one of these savages, very interesting situation, took care of him. And so, well, it's, it's kind of an involved situation. But... Um, Now, Luliap was a leader of the Yali Christians, a native leader. He wanted to go back into that valley. As soon as 
Luliab announced his intention to visit the Singh. His family reacted with horror. You'll be killed for sure. We won't let you go. And they began to monitor Luliap's movements to make sure he did not slip away from them secretly and go to the Singh Valley. They might as well have tried to restrain a sunbeam. Early one morning, under cover of a heavy mist, not only Weo and Luliap, but also five of Stan's other young but well-trained spiritual commandos vanished from their yogas. Everyone knew where they had gone. Why must our young men offer their flash to the Wigboon cannibals, someone groused. But others sighed with resignation and said, When we served the Kimbu spirits, we willingly slew even our own loved ones to fulfill their harsh demands. How much more must servants of a just and merciful God count their own lives expendable for his sake? Well, what they found then was, what these men found, these seven men that went, was that actually there was an openness to the gospel because of what had transpired through that plane crash and that boy staying there. And so they went back in. So then some of the missionaries went back in with some of the local Christians to minister. And it says it was like a spring thaw. The winter of fear had ended. People were flowing down like rivulets. And when they came closer, we could hear their laughter burbling like brooks. I heaved a great sigh and laughed for gladness myself. Hundreds of smiling, yelly men lined along the trail and reached out their hands to touch every one of us as we passed. Then we rounded a bend in the trail and passed through land, lines of shy, yelly women, most of them bearing small children on their backs or on their shoulders. Wah, 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 that was their greeting. They all called softly. Even little brown children, scarcely two years old, reached out with tiny hands in friendship. A powerful feeling of release tingled through the very air we breathed. Yakwara, Bingwak, Stan, Phil, Dingan, Mena, Jean, Lois, Stephen, Joyce, Jonathan. Those were all ones that had died. I wish you could be here to touch these uplifted hands and look into these beaming faces. Perhaps you are. Perhaps you can. Matthew sixteen twenty six, What is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? But what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Behold, this is Luke twenty Luke ten. Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul with all thy strength, with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live.